Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. Well, hi, C4. Good to see you today, and uh, a happy Father's Day to uh, all the fathers, the uncles, the grandfathers, all the various forms of uh, fathering that are in our midst uh, here in Ajax, and a shout out to all of, th- all of the dads up in uh, Port Perry and in Bowmanville. Uh, just really great to have you here with us today. When you were younger, and people would ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? What did you say? So what, what's popping into your mind right now? What, what did you want to be when you grow up? I know that when people used to ask me that when I was a kid, uh, the first thing that would come to mind always was, I wanted to be a pilot, which was kind of crazy because I used to get car sick, like just going around the corner. And, and so, so, you know, I'm not sure that anybody would really want to fly with me at, at the wheel, you know, and uh, I got my little bag beside me there. You know, things might get a little rough on the journey. But we're all going to answer that a little differently, right? I mean, we all have different answers to that question. What did you want to be when you grow up? Let me ask the question in a sort of a different realm, in a, di- in a different sphere. In terms of faith, what do you want to be when you grow up? You see, the answer is the same for all of us on that one. The goal is to become more like Jesus. That's what the Bible very clearly talks about. That's what is entailed in this whole idea of discipleship. We want to become like the one that we're following. We want to become more and more like Jesus. And so today I want to continue on what Pastor John started us off on last week in this whole idea of discipleship. Like there's so much that's been written about discipleship. There's so much that's entailed in this lifelong journey of discipleship. But here at C4, what we've tried to do is to help you. And we talk about five spheres or five environments or five distinctives of discipleship that we use here at C4. And it's just a way of breaking discipleship down into these five areas. Number one, because hopefully you can remember five. <laughs> and that makes it just a little bit more memorable, a little bit more easy. But it just, it helps you in the journey. And so the five that we use here at C4 are these. We celebrate big, we connect small, we share the work, we walk with Jesus, and we engage in mission. That's easy to remember, and that's easy for you to get a handle on. Uh, When it comes to celebrate big, what we... What we're doing here today is about celebrating big. We gather together like this in in a corporate gathering. We gather together because we can worship together. I'm so glad for teams that lead us in worship. And, you know, we can just step right into that. And I can worship alongside of you, along with you. And we can sing songs together. We can just tell, you know, God just what we think about him and all that he's done in our lives. And and it's not just for us here in in this room or in the rooms, you know, uh, at our sites. But it's it's, uh, also in C4 Kids where age appropriate, you know, uh, celebration happens and they get to worship and with their excitement and their enthusiasm talk to Jesus. And it also happens, you know, in, in our youth uh, programs and also in our young adult programs. That's all around celebrate big. And then we get to connect small. 
we invite you and we encourage you that there's some things that you can't do in a large gathering like this. You sort of can't go deeper with people. People don't share your spiritual journey and they don't know when things happen in your life. And so we encourage you to connect small. And so you can do that you know, through connect groups or uh, through getting involved in Alpha or getting involved in Freedom Session. And uh, it's just a great place to do life. I, I'm so glad that I belong to a connect group. I'm so happy that, that there's a, a group of people who really deeply care about me and I care about them and, and we get to connect with each other, we get to do life with each other and we've had some real high highs in our group and we've had some real low lows in our group and those people, we love on each other and we're there for each other all the time and doing life with that group of people is so special and so encouraging and so I get to give and I get to receive in that context and we encourage you to do that. And then, of course, there's share the work. Uh, we really believe firmly here, and it's one of our core values at C4. We believe in gift-based ministry, and so we want you to know and to understand your spiritual gifts, and we want you to develop those spiritual gifts, and we want you to use those spiritual gifts for the, for the benefit of everybody around you. That's the primary beneficiaries to me using my gifts or all of those who are around about me. And if you, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you're not sharing the work, you're not involved in ministry, you're just showing up on Sundays, then we need you. We desperately need you. There's a place of ministry that right now is vacant and is open and there's a slot there that you need to fill that slot because you need to share the work with everyone else and you need to bless other people who are around about you by using your spiritual gifts just as you receive blessing from others you know, working and helping you out. And then of course, walking with Jesus. We wanna become more like Jesus in our character and in our conduct and as, you know, we, we learn from him as our savior, our leader, our Lord. We want to be more and more like him. We wanna take on more of his attributes, more of his character traits and we wanna understand how Jesus thought and his approach to, to life and, and we wanna emulate him as our great model. And then engage in mission. Uh, is really about expanding and furthering the kingdom of God together. That we together get to, to see this beautiful kingdom. The, as one writer said, the, the, the beauty breaking forth in the midst of brokenness in our world, to just see that happen over and over again, and together we get to get involved in that. And so that's kind of how we've defined discipleship here at C4 and how we're trying to encourage you along that line. But my suspicion is that with a list like this, you know, many of you internally are saying something along these lines. You're, you're saying, well, look, Dave, I, I get Celebrate Big. I, I just need to go to church more often. That's easy. That's a no-brainer. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not super frequent, but I need to get a little bit more frequent, and so I get that. I get to Celebrate Big. I know what I can do to improve in that area. I also get Connect Small. You know, I like my group. Uh, I even love my group, and, you know, I just need to be maybe a bit more faithful, or if I'm not in a group, I just need to get in a group. I I need to get in a Connect group or attend Freedom Session or go to Alpha. So so I kind of get that one. And and Dave, I understand, share the work. You know, uh, I know I need to commit more to serving. I know that I really should be volunteering in the church somewhere, and so I I see that as a next step, and okay, I'm maybe even willing to take that next step. I, I could do that. And then, you know, some of you say, hey, listen, I love C4, and I agree with C4, and I agree with engaging in mission C4. I love our mission, vision, and values here at the church, and I'm all in, I'm here, and, and so I, I, I want to even maybe do more in that area, and I, could, I can engage. But how on earth do I do this walk with Jesus thing? Like, it, it sounds a bit nebulous to me. It sounds like, ah, I can't, you know, what's my next step there? Like, what do I do? You know, is there a way to walk with Jesus? 
Well, the Bible teaches that Jesus walked in the power of the Spirit, making full use of spiritual gifts and connecting with the Father through spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines. And Pastor John tells us that over and over and over again, and he, just, he repeats it over so that we don't miss that, so we can never lose the power of that. And that's kind of essentially what it means to, to walk with Jesus. We need to do some of these same things. But specifically this morning, if we want to walk like Jesus walked, how on earth do we do that? What, is that? what does that even look like? What's the next thing that I can do? Dave, what's one or two things that I could do coming away from this morning that, that I could actually take with me and, and start to put it into practice and, and know that I'm starting to walk with Jesus more and more? In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6, it says this. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus lived. Whoever claims to live in him, whoever claims to be a follower of Jesus must walk as Jesus walked. That, that's what the Bible says. But what does that mean? You remember last week, if you were here or if you watched online, uh, Pastor John talked about it, and he talked about this whole idea of discipleship being a decidedly Jewish kind of term, and, and that... Uh, a rabbi would take to himself disciples, and the whole goal of discipleship is to become like the one you're following. It's to become like your rabbi, your leader, your lord, your master. And, and, and that Jewish saying that was so predominant in Jesus' day is find yourself a rabbi and get covered in the dust of his feet. In other words, you were to follow so closely to the rabbi, to the teacher, to the leader that you were following, and you so wanted to emulate that person and become like them that you were so close to them all the time that the dust from their feet would actually cover your clothing and cover your, cover your body. And, and that's what it means to walk with Jesus. Thomas Acampus, who lived in the 1400s, said this, let this be thy whole endeavor, this thy prayer, this thy desires, that thou mayest be stripped of all selfishness and with entire simplicity follow Jesus only. Here's someone who understood and knew what it means to walk with Jesus. So today I want to look at a passage in the Bible where we can learn some things about walking with Jesus, where we can see his, his motives, his intentions, where his values come through, and then we can begin to understand what implications does that then have for me today? What can I take away from, from church today? Now, of course, there's so much that we can say about walking with Jesus. It's going to take us a whole lifetime to walk with Jesus and to become more like him. But what can you leave here with today? Especially for those of you who are just really struggling in this area. You, you need just a little jump start. <laughs> you just need to take something away today to think about, to get you started. And so, if you have your Bible, whether it's electronic or a paper one, uh, turn or navigate to John chapter 13. That's where we're going to camp out this morning. And as you're getting there, some of you are going to go, hey, that's a familiar passage. I, I know that passage. John chapter 13 is the episode in what's called the upper room just before Jesus is betrayed and before he goes to the cross where he washes the disciples' feet. And specifically this morning, there are three takeaways that I want to give you. There are three lessons from this particular passage of Scripture that we can learn about walking with Jesus from the passage that I believe can shape our character and influence our, our conduct. I want to help shape your character 
and influence your conduct this morning by looking at how Jesus walked and then beginning to emulate him. Now, of course, we always need context. Context is king, right? We need to know where we are in the Bible story. We need to know where we are in the narrative. And so uh, seven years of part-time seminary has taught me that what comes before John chapter 13 is John chapter 12. The education was worth it. John chapter 12. What happens in John chapter 12? Well, in John chapter 12, Jesus is anointed at Bethany. And then we have what we call the triumphal entry, where Jesus enters in Jerusalem and where the crowds proclaim him and, and they call out Hosanna in a loud voice. Kind of sounds a little bit like a celebrate big to me. And then after that, we get into the passage that we're going to look at today, which is called the Upper Room Discourse, where Jesus celebrates the Passover with his 12 closest friends. And there's just Jesus and these 12 friends. Kind of sounds a little bit like he's connecting small. And then right after that, in, in uh, chapter 15, we get Jesus uh, talking to his disciples about bearing fruit. And this is just before he's actually betrayed. It's actually on the way to the garden. And Jesus says to them, look, okay, so we've gone all through all this thing together. Now, here's, here's what I want you to understand. You need to go out there. You need to engage in mission. And you need to go out there and you need to bear fruit. And here's how you bear fruit that'll last. And Jesus instructs them on that. And then in John chapter 17... Jesus prays uh, for his disciples as he sends them out to engage in mission. But John chapter 13 is right in the middle of this. This is this very personal, very private moment with Jesus and his 12 closest friends, his disciples, the ones who are following him, the ones who are seeking to emulate him, the ones who want to become just like him, the ones who have followed him around now for about three and a half years, they don't fully know what the next few hours and days hold, but Jesus is very clear on that. And Jesus wants to let them know something about what it means to walk like he has walked. Conference speaker and pastor Andy Stanley, when questioned about John chapter 13, uh, put it this way, and I, and I love what he said. He said, when I think about John chapter 13 and, the, and this upper room, Jesus washing the disciples' feet, he said, I think of the question, what do you do when you suddenly realize that you're the most powerful person in the room? It's a great question. See, we all compare, don't we? When you, when you walk into a room or when you walk into church, you look around to see who's there. You know, people walk around and they look and they want to see who's sitting near me, who, who's here, who do I need to meet, who do I need to connect with, who do I need to talk, uh, who fits where in, in sort of the, the whole stratosphere of, of various um, characteristics that, that exist in a room. You know, some people make grand entrances into the room because they want to be noticed in the room. Some people get all dressed up, some people dress down, all for different reasons. Uh, you know, we're, we're just, we're, we are controlled and we are forced into so many different decisions, and many of them are because we want to know where we fit in the room. I remember years ago, I went out and I bought myself a pair of jeans. And if I do so my, say so myself, I looked really good in them. <laughs> like I really did. Genuinely, I look good in these jeans. I remember trying them on in the store, and I'd hoped that it wasn't one of those fake mirrors, you know, because when I put them on in the, in the store, they just looked really good on me. Like, sorry, it's truth. And so 
you know, I bought the jeans and I went home and, and, and church was coming that Sunday. And so I'm like, I got to wear the jeans to church for sure. So I put the jeans on and I, you know, I remember going to church and walking into church and thinking to myself, oh, people are going to notice. They're going to notice the jeans uh, for sure. And then a person came up to me and said, hey, Dave, new jeans. And I was like, see, they do look good on me. Really, like this person noticed they were new. And I was feeling pretty good about myself, right? And I walked a bit further, and like it was only a few minutes later, somebody else said to me, hey, Dave, new jeans, right? And I'm like, yes, everybody thinks they look good on me. And then finally, someone who was like honest and actually cared about me, they said, hey, Dave, new jeans. And I went, yes. And they said, well, you got that strip thing on the back, you know, that shows waist 4,022 and, and leg, you know, 15-inch leg, you know? I was stinking mortified. I was so embarrassed. I'm wearing the size thing on the back. I forgot to pull it off. But like that sort of gets to the heart, right? It doesn't matter what culture we're from. It doesn't matter where we grew up. It doesn't matter who we are. We want to know where we fit in the room. And particularly we want to know who's above us and who's below us in the room and where exactly we are in the room because it's human nature. It's human nature. We, we want to be noticed. So what would you do if you suddenly realized that you're the most popular, you're most educated, the wealthiest, the best looking, the most talented, the most powerful person in the room. Well, walking with Jesus and becoming more like Jesus actually holds the key to how we answer that question. So let's look at John chapter 13 then for a few moments. In this episode of Jesus and his disciples as we think about what do I want to become when I grow up? Well, here's the first thing that I see in the text that helps me. Walking with Jesus takes the focus off me. I learned to take the focus off me when I walk with Jesus. Richard Foster says this, nothing disciplines the desires of the flesh like service, and nothing transforms the desires of the flesh like serving in hiddenness. See, in John chapter 13, verses one and two, we read this. It was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. We learned some important things just from these opening two verses. The first one is this. Jesus knew that it was time for him to go to the cross. Jesus knew what was just around the corner. It says in verse one, Jesus knew that the hour had come. Jesus knew that this was now the end of his earthly mission, that Jesus was going to be betrayed, that he was gonna be turned over to, to the Romans, and then ultimately he was going to be crucified. And in that moment of knowing what is coming, Jesus, serves those who are around him. Like I have to ask myself, if, if I knew that this was my last day, if I knew that this was my last weekend alive, how would I spend it? Like where would my focus be if I knew my time had come? Well, depending on how much time I had, I'd probably try and squeak in one little last round of golf and pray like crazy for a hole in one because I've never had one. 
So I'd maybe do that if I knew I had two or three or four days left. But I tell you what, I wouldn't be focused on a lot of other people. I know who I'd want around me. I'd want Jen, and I'd want our kids, and our daughter-in-laws, and I'd want my grandchildren there. That's who I'd want around me. But what's so amazing about Jesus, and what's so countercultural and revolutionary about Jesus as a person is that he knows his time has come and he's fully aware of what the next few days and hours are going to hold for him and he takes the focus off himself and he puts the focus on the disciples because there's some really important stuff that he needs to leave with them. There's some things he has to tell them in these few remaining hours that he has alive that they just can't miss. They're too important for him to focus anywhere else. And so many people in our culture spend so much of their time trying to draw attention to themselves. We we are self-absorbed, we are self-focused, we are self-promoting, and yet, As I look at Jesus in this episode, his focus is on those around him whom he loves so deeply that he needs to instruct before he departs. The Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4 these words, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. This, I believe, is at the heart of what it means to walk with and to become like Jesus, taking the focus off me, taking the focus off you, making making it more about other people. And this kind of attitude is is not natural. Our, Our flesh screams out against this. Every part of my being fights me on this because I want it to be about me. I want it to be all about me all the time. And so do you. And yet when we learn to walk with Jesus, we we learn and we see him pushing us to be other-focused and other-centered. Now this might be easy with those that we love, maybe with our family or some of our close friends or even the people that we like, but what about other people? How many sets of feet did Jesus wash? Twelve. The scripture's clear. Judas was with them in the upper room. And Judas had already agreed to betray his friend. He'd already agreed and made arrangements to sell out Jesus. He was just looking for the opportunity. And yet when Jesus started to walk down or to kneel down that line of people and wash the feet, when he came to Judas' feet, he washed them just like he washed all of the other feet. We need to linger with Jesus and learn to think like Jesus thinks. See, this is how real power is managed. This is how humility gets worked out in my life and in your life. From just this episode alone, we see Jesus at his greatest hour of personal need and understanding, as we'll see in a moment, that he is the most powerful person in the room taking the position of a servant and becoming other-focused because it's so important in his kingdom. Well, the next thing that I see in the text that is helpful for me 
is that walking with Jesus challenges my ideas of greatness. Years ago, I was invited by a mission organization to go to India with a group of pastors. And the mission organization wanted to showcase some of the ministries that were going on in India. They wanted to take us around and, and see you know, what God was doing through their sponsorship of people in India. But, but the culminating event was that we were going to be the guests of honor at a graduation ceremony for some uh, young students of the Bible who had been trained and equipped over four years to go into ministry, some as pastors, some as evangelists, uh, some as teachers, uh, and, um, and so we got to be the guests of honor at their graduation ceremony. And so it was filled with pomp and ceremony, and it was great, and, and they, they had like a, a platform where these students would come along to receive their diplomas, and of course, we had to sit up on the platform because we were the guests of honor, the invited guests from the West, and so we sat up there. So after the ceremony was all done, before we got to the really great food, we had this time where we could mingle, and so I went down and started just talking to some of the, the graduates who had just come through, and you know, I would ask them, you know, what are you, what are you planning on doing? Has God called you to somewhere? And every one of them had a real sense of calling from God that they were all going to remain in India and they were going to take the good news of the gospel of Christ as pastors, as evangelists, as teachers out into the communities that God had called them to and they wanted to share the love of Christ with people who had never heard about Jesus. And so it was great to do that. But in my conversations with those young men and young women, I was shocked to find out that most of them expected to be beaten and abused as a result of their ministry. Many of them were ready to fully embrace persecution as a result of what they were doing, and a few of them said, I'm almost certain that I will be killed because of what I'm going to do. I realized that I was no guest of honor that I was in the presence of true greatness. Because true greatness in the kingdom of God is about taking on the role of the servant. It's not about self-promotion. Some of those people may have died since I was there years ago. I'm sure most of them, if they're still alive, are just operating in obscurity, being faithful to what God has called them to do, and, and sharing the good news of Jesus in word and in deed with those around them. And I'm certain that most of them are being persecuted. See, walking with Jesus challenges my ideas and your ideas and our Western culture's ideas of greatness. Look at John chapter 13, verses three to five. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he, was, he had wrapped around him. See, in, in the kingdom of Jesus, in the kingdom of God, in the economy of God, this is what true greatness looks like. When we learn to manage power through the grace of humility, we have the opportunity for true and lasting greatness. And this, friends, is so countercultural 
This is so anti-North American where it's all about me and it's all about self-promotion and it's all about climbing the ladder and it's all about title and it's all about what I have and it's all about how much I earn. Jesus comes along and says, there's nothing wrong with those things if you understand how to walk like Jesus walked. See, Jesus was pointing to a new way a way that even, you know, even his disciples didn't understand. Matthew chapter 20 happens just before, you know, John chapter 13 that we're looking at. And, and I find great humor in Matthew chapter 20. I, I love Matthew chapter 20. It, ta- it says that James and John, the brothers, came along with their mummy. And they come to Jesus with a request. See, Jesus has been talking about coming to establish a kingdom, and they're like, oh, we know know what this is all about. What Jesus is going to do is he's going to overthrow the Romans, not sure how he's going to do that, but he's going to take back everything that the Romans have taken from us. And what Jesus is going to do, he's going to take us back to the good old days of King David and King Solomon. We are all going to be wealthy, we're going to restore our military power, we're going to take over the government, we're going to be leading the whole show. The whole country is going to be ours. And so the request is, When you come into your kingdom, Jesus, could one of my boys be on your right and one on the left? (laughs) Mom's saying, I want my two sons to be your right hand and your left hand man. Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. In fact, in Matthew chapter 20, it says, when the other 10 heard about this, they became indignant. (laughs) You boneheads, what are you talking about? What's your mummy asking Jesus for? You, you think you're better than us? And in Matthew chapter 20, verses 24 to 28, Jesus says this. Jesus calls them together, and he says, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Walking with Jesus, friends, redefines greatness. It helps us grapple with what true greatness looks like. Walking with Jesus causes us to rethink this right-side-up kingdom that Jesus has come to establish and how we fit into that kingdom. What are the values? What are the motivations? What kind of character do I need to have to be great in the kingdom of God? Well, we need to serve. We need to think of others as better than ourselves. And when we know that they were the most powerful person, or we think we're the most powerful person in the room, we need to grab a towel and a basin. Well, the third helpful thing that I see in this passage is that walking with Jesus helps me handle power without corrupting my soul. When we practice walking with and like Jesus, we give up the right to be in charge and the right to be in control. We learn what it means to humble ourselves, and in this there is tremendous freedom. John 13, verses 3 and 4, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. Don't miss miss what these verses are saying, friends. It's so important for us to understand what these are saying. Jesus knows Beyond a shadow of a doubt, Jesus is certain that he is the most powerful person in the room. 
says that God the Father has put all things under Jesus' power. He knows not only that he's the most powerful person in the room, but Jesus knows that he's the most powerful person in the city of Jerusalem at that moment in time. There is no one more powerful. There are people who hold position, and there are people of great wealth and great prestige, and there are people who have all kinds of people under their control, but Jesus knows that none of them are more powerful than him at that particular moment. But not only that, Jesus understands and fully knows that at that moment in time, Jesus is the most powerful person in the world at that particular time. In fact, Jesus is the most powerful person in all of creation. There is nothing, seen or unseen, that is more powerful than Jesus. And so what's Jesus' response? Verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? See, this is the heart of the question. Do you understand what I've done for you? Oh, I know I'm the most powerful person in the room. God the Father has given me everything. I'm it. So what have I done? Well, with this absolute power, I've become your servant because I don't want you to miss this. It's what you do with what you know that matters. It's what you do with what you know that really matters. In verses 13 to 15, Jesus says this, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so. So Jesus is not ducking that he is their, their leader. He's not ducking his position. He's not ducking his authority at all. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. So on this night when it should have all been all about Jesus and they should have focused on Jesus, consoling him, praying for him, strengthening him, making sure he's ready to go through all of the events that he's about to go through that are going to tax him to the very physical and the very spiritual limits, Jesus has flipped the whole thing and said, it's actually not about me, it's about you. And I'm about to go through some things and I'm taking this time to make sure you get it so clearly that if you want to walk like me, if you call yourself my disciples, if you want to be covered in the dust of my feet, then here's what real, lasting greatness looks like. And here's how you handle the power that's about to come to you. Because later on we know that the Holy Spirit comes upon them with great power. How do you hold great power and not corrupt your soul? You walk like Jesus walked, with great humility and with a servant heart. See, we can't miss this. We just can't miss this, friends. So if Jesus is our model, then we need to follow his example and walk as Jesus walked. <laughs> tough, right? <laughs> it's really tough. And I know that some of you are sitting here today and you're saying, Dave, <laughs> I hear you, but man, that's tough. I'm not sure I can do that. And then there are others who are here today, and I'm, I'm sure that you hear voices in your head that are maybe voices that sound like your own voice or sound like a voice of someone that you've grown up with or someone around you, whether it be family member or friend, and you hear their voice saying, you can't do this. You, you can't walk like this. You know who thinks you can do it? Jesus thinks you can do it. He really does. 
He really believes in you. In John chapter 15 and verse 16, just a couple of chapters later, Jesus says this. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Jesus says, you didn't come begging to be my disciples. I, your Lord and Savior, I, the rabbi, the capital R rabbi, I think you can be just like me. I want you to come and be my disciples. You can do this because Jesus thinks you can do this. You can walk with Jesus. Oh, we're going to have to learn to do some things, and we're going to have to learn to think new ways, and our character and our conduct is going to have to be shaped. Of course, it's not easy, but Jesus really believes that you can do it. And so I want you to be encouraged today. I want you to leave this place thinking that if Jesus has called me, Jesus will always resource me with what I need to do what he's asked me to do. He has given us the Holy Spirit the comforter, the counselor, who will lead us into all truth. And you can walk with Jesus. You can walk with Jesus. You can celebrate big and you can come to church on Sunday. And you can get in a connect group, small group, or alpha, or freedom session. You can do it. I really believe you can do it. And you can find a place of service in our church and there's a place for you and if you're a follower of Jesus, he's already given you spiritual gifts, guaranteed sources of power. You can do it. I really believe in I really believe you can do it. And you can engage in mission and you can forward the kingdom of God in our church. I really believe that you can do it. But you can walk with Jesus and he thinks you can do that. So let's stand together and let me pray for you that whatever God is calling you to and whatever God is trying to speak to you, that you would hear and that you would have the courage to follow him in the way that he's asking you and inviting you to follow. So, Lord Jesus, Lord of heaven and earth, our Savior, our Redeemer, the King of glory, and our friend, we want to become more like you. So help us to walk like you walked. Help us to be diligent in the reading of Scripture and in prayer and in understanding the things that we need to do to become more like you, but thank you so much that you believe in us and that you have given us everything we need for life and godliness. So would you lead us now? Would you encourage us? Would you correct us? Would you rebuke us? Would you instruct us as we seek to follow you? And may we bring you glory, honor, and praise both now and forevermore. Amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.